This is Why We Write, a podcast of Leslie University. Every episode, we bring you conversations with authors from the Leslie community to talk about books, writing, and the writing life. I'm Georgia Sparling, and today I'm joined by Leslie alum Nathan Tavares, debut author of A Fractured Infinity, which is out December 6th from Titan Books. It's a sci-fi love story that crosses universes, which really doesn't even begin to describe the incredible voice and creativity in this book. And of course, we will talk about all of that. But first, Nathan, welcome to Why We Write. Thank you so much, Georgia. I'm really happy to be here and chat with you. Oh, yeah, we're excited. I'm excited to have you here. So um, before we talk about the novel, I thought, let's talk about you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you became a writer. Yeah, I um, grew up in Somerset, Massachusetts, kind of in the southeastern Mass area. Um, And I, since I've been a kid, I always have been singularly minded in that I wanted to be a writer. So I started reading um, Goosebumps books as a kid and getting really into Greek mythology and and just writing my own kind of superhero and fantastical stories when I was a kid. And um, yeah, I was a big reader. So I, I stuck with it ever since and and studied English and, and lit and uh, creative writing at Leslie. And um yeah, that's that's basically it. It was sort of a slow, long haul as it usually is, but uh, happy to see a book coming out. Yeah. And so you've done a lot of journalism. So talk a little bit about how you how do you balance doing journalism and, you know, fictional stories that are, I would think, maybe more involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I It feels like I have two kind of careers going on at the same time, especially now that my freelance gigs are picking up. Um so I went to Leslie and I, I knew I really wanted to be a writer. And then after graduation, I got a job in magazine writing, which at the time and maybe not so much now was like a more stable career path than, <laughs> hey, being a fiction writer. So, um, yeah, so I, I put creative writing not on the back burner, but it was like the you get up before your day job and work on short stories and that kind of thing. And then you go to work, work. Um so it started off as a way to pay the bills, but I actually, the past couple of years especially, I've really discovered a passion for helping people tell their stories and thinking about that as um, like a really valuable way of helping out people in the way that I can, you know, not being a doctor, not being someone else and with a, a life-saving skill, like what can I help people do that will help get their stories out there. So I've, I found that's been a really fun ride. Do you gravitate towards certain types of stories in your, um, like magazine work? Yeah, I do a lot of food writing and a lot of, uh, culture writing, Mm. but I've found the past couple of years, it's really been people from underrepresented backgrounds is what I'm really into representing or, or helping get their stories out. Um, Mm-hmm. Which started, I think, at the Improper Bostonian. I was there for a couple years, and we would do a lot of things like features on, you know, the ten best new chefs in Boston or ten new singles in Boston. And we would always be in a room, and it was great to have these conversations of, you know, what does the makeup of people that we're representing look like? Is it skewed to male, female? Is it, you know, we we want to really represent the city in what we're doing so we want to make sure that we're we have a a diverse pool of people that we're covering and 
I think from from there, it really made me think like it's easy to do a story that's like five white male chefs. You know, <laughs> it's for a number of reasons. They might have more PR resources. They might have more websites. Um, but it takes so little effort. And you often find really great stories if you kind of look beyond just that very narrow pool of people. So I think from there, it that really inspired me to dig a little bit deeper when I'm doing my editorial coverage. And I feel like that that seems like some those themes definitely came into your book, mm-hmm. um, which let's talk about that. So <laughs> so why are you drawn to sci-fi? Yeah, I've, I think I've always been really, really drawn to sci-fi. And it was almost like I was in the closet about it for many years. So because <laughs> I, I think for a while until now, it wasn't really taken. And I hate to use the word seriously because I don't take myself that seriously. But as a genre, like sci-fi wasn't really looked at as something yeah. that a lot of, let's say, publications would cover or a lot of programs would offer sci-fi classes. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always loved just the fantastical nation and the what if. What if people could fly? What if aliens came to Earth? I think I've always been really drawn about answering those questions and and seeing what would happen to characters in those situations. Do you feel like... So I, I haven't read a ton of sci-fi. It, it feels like there's... A big range. I mean, you could have a story where everything is pretty much exactly the same, except like cars fly mm-hmm. or <laughs> or something like that. Whereas, you know, or where there's monsters walking around or, you know, you're on a completely different planet or something like that. Like, where do you fall? I mean, I don't know. Do you see those as distinctions? Yeah, or like, where do you fall in your like interest or do you read all of right. it? Right. I do read all of it. I do tend to skew more towards earth but slightly different um i know Mm -hmm. like black mirror is one of my favorite tv shows and i I love that a lot of their episodes are about we have this new technology and here is what's going to happen to this group of people because of it but we're going to explore human things and human emotions and relationships kind of through this lens of sci-fi and through a new technology so i think that's where i I tend to go Mm -hmm. yeah so talk a little bit about your book. I was going to try to summarize it myself, but then I was looking at your website and I was like, oh, you just, you're going to do a better job than me. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's, it's taken me a little while to learn kind of a 10 second elevator pitch because um, it is a lot going on. But so that for the 10 second elevator pitch, hopefully. Uh, oh, you have more yeah. time. <laughs> so uh, it's about a troubled filmmaker named Hayes Figueroa who uh, discovers he is somehow connected to this strange predictive device from another universe and then he gets taken away to this secret facility in the middle of nowhere in former america Uh, and he learns more about the device and also falls finds himself falling in love with this um, physicist named yusuf along the way Uh, and then something happens in our world that hayes and yusuf have to go on the run to save their own lives um, through a bunch of different universes and kind of meeting different versions of themselves along the way. Oh, so you did a great <laughs> Thank you. Um, and it really starts out, I mean, the first half is on the quieter side. It's kind of, it's building mm-hmm. up to all of this and really like developing the characters. Um, we talk a little bit about how you decided to pace the novel and yeah. Yeah. Pacing is hard. I, um, and I, I decide to pace it in a certain way because I have this device that is like Hayes talking to the reader as if he is, either introducing a documentary or writing his own screenplay. And 
And I knew I needed that device in there because there was so much kind of world building and character development for the first chunk of the novel that I hoped that it would be like a breadcrumb trail leading a reader through like, okay, he's talking to us from point A, but where, like where in the plot, how does he get there? And so I want to sit through and, and figure out the ride that he's taking us on. I really hoped to have a kind of cozier pace in the beginning so you get to know the characters that when so when these crazy things start happening you're kind of like oh you know i'm with him he he wrote me in i'll i'll you know i'll go with him and see what happens yeah and hayes has a really like he has such a distinct voice i think you know like i feel like that is something that will really stay with readers is is him as a character where I mean, he's very cheeky and, you know, he's messy. You know, he feels like chaotic, um, but also really like kind of sad. He's had a lot of awful things happen in his past or just hard things have happened in his life. Um, t- tell me a little bit about where he came from and like how how did you get his voice? Did he just like come to you or anything? <laughs> yeah, I I have always avoided writing nonfiction I think for a, a number of reasons, like I, I don't think I'm that interesting and I also am pretty private, but I, I think when I was writing this book, there were like a lot of weird personal things happening. So I sat down and I thought, okay, if I'm going to write a book about a failed artist in his thirties, which I thought I was, I thought just go all in Nathan, just crank the volume to 11, just pull, like borrow liberally from your own life and your own voice and just, just go, go for it and see what happens. Yeah. So that's what happened. <laughs> I think I'm <laughs> I'm he's like a deeply exaggerated version of myself and I think that's where mm-hmm. the voice came from and I I think for me that's why the voice was fun and I won't say easy but easier to write than some of the other voices in the book I think because it was so based on how I yeah. talk. Mm. Um yeah, so yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so when I guess I'm curious about sci-fi in that you, some people could think, oh, you just like made up a bunch of stuff, like whatever, you know, they go to their other planets and blah, blah, blah. And like, you can just kind of come up with that stuff off the top of your head. But I think if you're reading, you're reading it, you know, that's, that's not the case. How do you have to, do you need to do research? Like, I mean, all this stuff that you, cause Yusuf is a scientist. And so he's talking about all these complicated things and writing you know, um, equations and stuff on the windows. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, how do you even get there? Because it has to be believable. So like, what was your process of writing a story? Cause sci-fi has to be believable, even though obviously we know it's not our world or a world. Yeah. For this one, I don't usually do that much research cause I don't typically write about things that would require that much research. But for this one, I definitely, mm-hmm. Um, watched a lot of sci-fi films. So like Contact and Arrival are my favorites. Um, but then I also did a lot of reading of pop science books in the kind of theoretical physics genre. So I, I would say I, I have like a interest in physics from a liberal arts background and that I need like the very intro intro to physics type stuff. Yeah. So um, it was a lot of YouTube videos and taking notes and um, a lot of reading pop science books. And then from there, I think I cheated in a way that the physics concepts are filtered through a character 
of Hayes, who is not a physicist. So I could sort of wave my hand like, okay, if I get this part wildly wrong, it's just because I'm not a physicist and I'm trying to explain something that I maybe don't fully understand. So I was able to kind of dodge some stuff uh, by using that, I think. One thing I thought was interesting is as you're you know going to well starting in the world that that we start the book in, you know America doesn't really exist anymore. There's AI people who are trying to get their own rights, and then you go to different different universes where there's yeah you know, everybody's most of the population's gone from a pandemic or you know things like that. So what were you trying to say with all of these different worlds? I mean they all there's elements of our own world or what could be our own world I think in all of them. Um yeah, so where what does that say about us? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think a lot of the world building ideas came from I was traveling with my dad in the middle of nowhere in Portugal when former President Trump pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords. And then Mm -hmm. for me, it was this moment of, I grew up in the 90s, and then we always had this mindset that like America is the greatest country in the world, and it's the hero of the world. And I'm not saying that it's not a great country, but that was a moment of thinking, oh, so we, like every other country in the planet, get things wrong often. We screw up often. So when I was building this world, it made me think of, okay, what if America decides that we're going at this alone? We, you people in the rest of the world, you take your own problems and you try to fix the environment as you think you can and we'll do our own thing and good luck. So to me, it was thinking of an America that's past its prime. Like, what would that look like? It would be insular cities and it would be leasing large chunks of land to other countries for them to develop um yeah so i think it was responding to that idea that if america stops doing something the world isn't going to stop um making changes for the better of course other countries will come in and and do things like grow drought resistant crops and work on clean energy and all those kinds of things hmm yeah. Well, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I'd love to talk to about Hayes and Yusuf's relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a, I mean, it's really central to the novel and guides what happens. I mean, we start out we start out at the point where they've like well, we start out in the future and then go back, I guess. Um and so you know it's always really about them. So how did you come up with that and why did you want to make a love story kind of central? to this to the book yeah i i started the book with thinking of an image toward the end and then backing into okay what kind of characters would get there and who are these people and then a large drive of it was that there are really no i I was thinking of sci-fi films like there are no sci-fi films that are let's say big budget fun sci-fi films that focus on a queer love story and i really When I was writing this book, I had a book before this that went nowhere, and it it was hard to bounce back from. So when I was writing this, I thought, like, this is your opportunity to write something that you love so deeply and that involves so many of the things that you love in literature and sci-fi films. And if it goes nowhere but your computer, what a joy that is still for you to write this. So for me, that Mm -hmm. the point was, like, 
I want to write a queer love story that I would have loved to read as a kid or or I would have loved to see a relationship like this in a sci-fi movie, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So I think for me it was like wanting to write these hopefully really rich characters who are are queer men and it's not a coming out story, there's no coming out trauma. That was another part that was really important to me where coming out stories have their place and I, I love reading them too, but I, I think there's less for people who are in their thirties and forties and queer to really go to and relate to. So it, for me, that was like a really important thing just to dive into a love story that wasn't about coming out trauma and panic, but it was about sort of two realistic and likely damaged people who find each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so yeah, let's talk about your your first yeah. book. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you write one book and then you did you just not love it or what uh, what happened? Yeah, with that it's book? a long story. I loved it. So I wrote it shortly after graduating. I think I started it in 2012, and by 2015 I had a a pretty good version of it, and I it got me an agent and kind of like a couple maybe moments where it almost got published, and then one one offer they wanted to significantly change the end um in a way that it felt like a different book and my agent at the time said you know i believe we can sell this to someone else but it's your your choice your career so i turned it down and it didn't end up selling which is is fine cuz i had sort of looked at what it it became after many years of revising and and many different like mm-hmm. acquisitions acquisitions editors saying hey maybe if you do this we'll like it better and you sort of do that and then it doesn't they don't buy it anyway and then you it goes through all these different changing forms and you look at it years later and go wow like there's 15 what different voices this? in there who was the, the person that wrote this because it kind of wasn't me so yeah like frankenstein yeah, totally totally like and I, there were i still have an affection for that book but it, it was like an incredibly valuable learning curve of either stick true to yourself um or i don't know it it was a nice moment of not wanting to compromise but also learning a ton and just uh, like work ethic wise just learning to revise a book 12 or 13 times is such a crazy <laughs> lesson in, in productivity so that was that was good yeah Do, would you i guess how many revisions did you have for fractured infinity um i would say three or four significant ones and i kind of Mm -hmm. did my own like pivot midway through the book which i definitely recommend um i was halfway through it and i was just like bored writing it so i thought if i'm bored writing it someone is going to be bored reading it so some something has got to give some change has got to happen so Mm -hmm. i like was working on one page and then the next page was just completely different. It was first person, it was voice here. And then I thought like, okay, just plow through the rest of this draft. And then when you're done with it in this kind of hybrid version, then you stop and make the first part of the book match this new voice that you found. So that's, um, that's what I did. And I, I think it, it was helpful not to feel too stuck, like staying to an outline that I had. It was nice knowing that I could shift things around if I needed to. So do you usually use an outline of some sort? Yeah, I, I usually do. I, the first book, I 
I didn't do a lot of outlining and I, I think that's why the pace dragged a lot, but I, I do tend to outline a lot. So you have a fractured infinity is hitting shelves December 6th. And um, you also have a second book that's going to be coming out next year. Is I that do. Right? Yeah. Does it have any relation to any of what you've already talked about today? Yeah. So it's, um, it's kind of a rebirth of the first book that went nowhere, which is neat. So mm-hmm. I, um, my agent asked me if I had any other novels in the works uh, as they were selling a fracture infinity. And I said, very naively like well i have this complete novel that's that i worked on for years and in my head i was thinking great so we'll we'll sell this one too and i won't have to touch it because it's already done and then i opened it up again and i thought oh oh wow so that's why it went nowhere because it is awful so it was it was a moment of like many moments of self-doubt where i thought okay i need to um tell my agent he made a wonderful mistake and I will give him back his money because this this book is not good or I essentially have to start again um which sounds more intimidating than it maybe was but once I often told myself like you did it before you can do it again you got this it's totally fine I was able to kind of chip it away and um and in a nice way the version that I just turned in is far more similar and better than the version that I first wrote, which drove me to write it to begin with kind of before I listened to all these different voices uh, and changed mm-hmm. things. So it, it worked out in a um, positive way that involved a lot of work, but um, I'm, I'm happy with how it went out. And they're both, I mean, uh, Fraction Infinity is a standalone. Is this new one a standalone? Too? Yeah, it'll be a, another standalone that I'm excited about. I, I love a good series as much as anyone else, but I, I think sometimes the installments in a series can feel a little bit too much like an installment in that it, mm-hmm. like the end of a first book doesn't answer as many questions as you maybe had hoped for. Um, so I, I just really love self-contained uh, universes and stories. It's hard to finish a series. Too. Yeah, especially <laughs> if there's like a five year lag between book one and book two. I just yeah. want to know things right away. So, yeah. Sometimes I won't pick up a book that's a series unless it's right, finished right. because I just I because otherwise, well, I have one. I have like read two thirds of a couple of series that I just never finish. So I need to I need the discipline. Right. I guess, and then when but, the third one comes out, you think, OK, so I guess I should read the first two again. But then you think that's so much time and effort. And yeah. Yeah, there's so many books on my right. shelf. I just can't can't go back. <laughs> Got to keep going yeah. forward. <laughs> um, what is the new one? Or this? Well, this is new. One. What's the second one about? Can you say anything about it? Um, my agent and I have used movies as kind of a um, comparison for the novels, which has been fun. So the first one we called like the movie Arrival, but really gay. And then the <laughs> second one we're calling like Cloud Atlas meets. Um, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and like their gay love child so that's sort of like um so themes of like identity and and kind of digital immortality and and what that would do to a love story so that's that's what it'll be like okay great i love uh, eternal sunshine yeah it's such a good movie yeah i need to rewatch it (laughs) i haven't seen it for a long time i was rewatching it again this Um, summer and it it held it held up it's so beautiful yeah, I feel like every time I watch it, there's something I didn't catch before. Mm-hmm. Just some little statement that relates to something yeah. else or 
you know, a little detail that's just full of them. So good. So yeah, so I have a couple of questions about writing. So would you talk a little bit, since you are a graduate of our MFA in creative writing program, what, can you talk a little bit about that experience or how it, how it helped you get to where you are now? Like what are some things you learned through those couple of years? Definitely. Yeah. I remember telling Michael once, Michael Lowenthal, that my writing process before Leslie would be writing a story and then it sits on your hard drive and you don't ever touch it again. So I was Mm -hmm. a writer and not a reviser. So that's uh, one thing I definitely picked up from Leslie and AJ Verdell, of course, her uh, course Mm -hmm. revision was just literally changed the the way that I write. So that was so wonderful. Yeah. And um, Michael too, I remember one time I turned in a story and he wrote me back um, a lovely letter, but it essentially said, I'm telling you this because I know you can handle it, but try again. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. He was like, "It this this didn't work. There's a kernel in here that does work. And I'm telling you this because you can handle mm-hmm. it on a maturity level. Try again. And mm-hmm. and once I sort of picked myself up the floor after that, after that it, I was a moment of, oh, of course. Like, you're, you're not one story. You're not one book. You're not one anything. Mm-hmm. And you just have to keep going and keep trying again. So that's one thing that I definitely... I've remembered since since graduating. Yeah, yeah, because I I can see it's hard to know when you've got anything to work with. Right. <laughs> you're like you yeah. either you feel like you should either have like a total amazing story that everybody loves, or that you should just give it right, up. Right, <laughs> right, yeah, and it's but there is an in between. Yeah, and it's, and it's never perfect. Of course, it can't be. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a valuable lesson. Is there any one piece of writing advice that you often come back to? Ooh, I do think often about AJ Verdell's make a scene out of it. And, Mm -hmm. and if there's a scene going on, I want to get as much sensory info as in that scene as possible. And I think especially writing books, there is you, there is summary in there that has to be there just as, as a tool. But once Mm -hmm. you start getting too much summary then you stop and go oh i need to make a scene out of something i'm i'm discussing here like it it can't be just this distant kind of narration thing i need to see what's going on i need to feel what the characters are doing i need to hear what they're saying so it's it's something something i go back to because she i think i went i think i went to that workshop several years ago but she kind of identifies like as you're reading through something like this is a scene this is like this is scene one this is scene two this is scene three right right? and then kind of you know even if they seem like they're too micro for that but you know you've moved from the kitchen to the living room or you know like am am i remembering that right kind of like those are the little nuggets yeah and she talked a lot about uh voice and word choice too which is something that i really remember especially with my editorial work too like what verbs are doing what? Is there a better verb in this sentence that would convey a lot more character and, and motion than the one you chose? And um, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, do you, how do you continue to be involved in like the world of writers? Do you have a writing group or do you have mentors or do you mentor be- other people? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do more of that now. I'm definitely... Um, kind of a homebody and sort of a lone wolf when it comes to my writing community. And um, so I'm trying to reach out on on some Slack groups with different writers. Um, but I don't have like a 
a group of friends that I, I give writing to and say, Hey, you're my friend. So please read this and give me a critique. And <laughs> I have a couple, um, editor friends that I, I reach out to, but, um, yeah, that's, that's been the struggle, especially in this weird hybrid world we're living yeah, in. Two, yeah. Three years. Yeah. 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 So I will, uh, figure that out and get back to you. I, I would say. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> yeah. Well, so this has been a really great conversation. Um, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Nathan. Thank you so much, Georgia. It was great. I will put links to your website and social media on in our show notes. And there will also be a link there for a transcript of this episode. Um, thank you all so much for listening. And make sure you pick up A Fractured Infinity, which hits shelves December 6th from Titan Books. And you can pre-order it now. I know authors love pre-orders. Those are <laughs> very helpful. <laughs> very. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.